1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Susan Collins announced Wednesday that she is a yes on Judge Jackson for the Supreme Court. Literally the least she could do. So in commemoration of that, Alyssa, what drink do we send to somebody to congratulate
0: them for doing the least? Okay, so Mai Tai would be my favorite celebratory drink, but she doesn't deserve that because it requires too much effort. So I say we send her a screwdriver with airplane orange juice. A screwdriver with airplane orange juice? I say
1: vodka soda because you can just like... Fine. Fine. So fast. So fast. A vodka soda, a screwdriver, whatever for Susan Collins for doing the very least to confirm one of the most... Qualified and incredible
0: nominees to the Supreme Court, we have seen in my memory. She easily could have not, so I mean, we'll still give her, you know, yay. <laughs> yay. I
1: mean, I, every single day, I go down the street not lighting garbage cans on fire. <laughs> Where's my Mai Tai? <gasps> This week, we're joined by Senator Amy Klobuchar, Kieran Deal and Julisa Arce to tackle the following questions: What's safer than Tylenol, but causing conniptions across America? How do you solve a problem like Jenny Thomas? Has assimilation been a trap all along? And what kind of a monster doesn't RSVP on time? All this and more right now.: OK, some, some news. News
0: hmm. is happening. It feels less dark than it's felt, don't you think? it does It does. Spring is coming. The news is giving us i mean, not really a reprieve, but you know, not as yeah, not as bad as it was last week, I guess,
1: yeah, you know it's been on my mind a little bit. I mean, I guess it's been on a lot of people's minds. Um, hmm. you know the film g i Jane, yes, yeah. You know that it, it came out in 1997, so it's like 25 years old. Yes. Um. Sorry to do that math. It's upsetting to me as well. It's a 25-year-old <gasps> movie. It cost $50 million to make, and it made $48 million in the box office. So it was a loss then. And I would say today, jokes about that film proven to be also not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> not let's, worth it. Let's move on. Um Okay, uh, yeah, like the the news feeling a little bit lighter this week.
0: What's going on in Ukraine is like— Not light. Not light. You know what it is? I think we've gotten to the point, which we can't, and it's good that we're talking about it, where it's roughly the same, people being terrorized and fleeing for their lives, but it's just been the same news, right? So I think mm-hmm. Ukraine is roughly the same news. Uh, they had their peace talks yesterday. Russia's still bombing the shit out of Ukraine overnight, so— uh. Man, Russia as a global geopolitical actor
1: sucks. Sucks. That fucking fucking sucks. Um, Okay. Let's get to some stuff that's happening domestically. Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, we we talk about kind of the bigger political stories on here, but I think we really like to zero in on stories that maybe get missed in the sort of bread and circuses of it and the the kind of everyone focusing on the the castle intrigue, which is the stupidest phrase of all time. And it makes me want to never, ever go back to D.C., even though people there are very nice. Um, Ever,
0: ever. I could never go
1: back. I like how is it a city is is simultaneously so cool. Like there's so many cool things about Mm -hmm. people who are like long term D.C. residents and the culture of D.C. itself. And then so uncool profoundly
0: uncool. It is a study in contrast, DC. And you know, I was probably profoundly uncool, but I never went out, so nobody knew it but me. (laughs) So you weren't out there stinking up the joint? No, no. I was just getting takeout Thai food and going back to my house. Um, So here's...
1: (laughs) actually sounds like what I've done in every place I've lived uh, most of the time. Um, So the FDA has made mail-order abortion pills legal. So um, among all of this conversation we've been having about the end days of Roe and uh, various states just unleashing their kookiest characters to make insane laws about things like ectopic pregnancies and all that, there are some steps being taken to make abortion access easier for Mm -hmm. people who can get pregnant and may want to have an abortion. Uh, So the FDA made mail-order abortion pills legal, but it's still super hard to access them. Alyssa, I
0: have a feeling why that is, but can you kind of break it down? Well, Erin, you'll recall that back in December, uh, we discussed this. You were not here, but you and I texted about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they did this, you and I both were like, hmm, the anti-choice people are not going to like this because it does one thing. It takes away the theater that they love. They love picketing planned parenthood. They love marching. They love those terrible graphic posters that they hold up. That aren't even necessarily how a typical Ab- like the byproducts Correct. of a typical
1: abortion procedure would look, Correct. like. Correct.
0: It's gruesome. It's his- they're histrionics. It's the whole thing. So we knew that they were going to be little bitches about getting these pills over the mail. So the way that it should work is that you should have a telemedicine appointment, and the doctor can prescribe it, and you can get the pills in the mail. However, some of our least favorite states, 32 of them as a matter of fact— have mm. done some jiggery pokery over the past couple of months. 32 states require a doctor to administer the drugs. Minder, these drugs are safer than Tylenol. Safer than mm. Tylenol. Tylenol also surprisingly unsafe for the number of people who take it and it, the ways in which they take it. Exactly. And then 19 states require the prescribing doctor to at least be present when the pills are taken. Okay, can I break in here real quick? Please do. I have had a medication abortion before.
1: Mm-hmm. And there is literally no reason that any aspect of it needed to be supervised. It is swallowing pills. A pill. The pills do not get you high. <laughs> like, no. it's not even... You can use telemedicine to access Adderall now. Yes. You know, like, a, a, a literal, like, an upper that behaves for a lot of people like a party drug. For people who do not need it, it acts like a... like. OTC speed. Um for people who do need it, it it's really helpful but for people who don't need it they use it for recreation. Right. Abor- abortion drugs are not recreational. They do not impair you. Um the process of taking it is you take one in the doctor's office mm-hmm. and then you take one at home. Sometimes that you um you have them as like a vaginal suppository, sometimes you take it orally the second thing you take, you know several hours later. You do
0: not need a doctor to watch you swallow the first thing. Well, here's a funny thing, Erin. The narcotics that you could be prescribed for pain from a surgery, whatever, you don't have to go to the doctor and take it in front of the doctor to make sure that you don't abuse it. Like, mm-hmm. There's no reason why this drug needs to be supervised. But, But in addition to the other problems, 19 states require two or more in-person visits now to receive the medicine. So you got to take time off your job, go in once, go back home, I guess think about the choice you're making, Uh. go back in a second time, and then you can get it. And yeah, go back home. And then
1: during your time that you're home, you look up pregnant in the dictionary to see what it means. Because see if you, you understand it,
2: what's yeah, going on in didn't my body? you know what
0: it meant before. Uh, that's why I'm getting it aboard. Oh, God. And then By six way. lastly, in the past couple of months, six of our favorite states have just made it straight up. You can't get them via telemedicine or the mail. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That seems like an unnecessary pain in the ass. That
0: seems like an undue burden. It seems like an undue burden. It seems like a lot of people just want you to have to go to Planned Parenthood where they can pick at you, try to humiliate you and shame you out of a very reasonable health choice that you're making.
1: Yeah. I mean, and here's the thing. If you are pregnant and you don't want to be, these laws are not going to stop you from getting an abortion. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not totally. like, there's a <laughs> There's like a trade-off where, you know, like if it's not, an abortion is not like I'm sitting on the couch, and I really want to have a snack. And there's, like, some banana chips on the coffee table. But what I really want is, like, apple slices. But then I'd have to get up and, like, cut them up. Right. I'm just—and I'm just going to have banana chips. I'm not, like—I'm pregnant, and, like, I want to not be pregnant. So, ah, it's just too much. Ah. I'm just not going to—you do. know, it's not like that. You know what I mean? No. Like, people will put their lives at risk in order to not be pregnant because it is a a super risky medical like ordeal pregnancy can lead to all kinds of negative outcomes for people especially those who do not want to be pregnant yeah like the the stress the the trauma of having to go through pregnancy if you don't want to the tr- stress and trauma of childbirth the financial burden of all of that the the time burden like all of the the appointments you have to go to even if you are perfectly healthy and you have a boring pregnancy right like by the end of my pregnancy i had to go to the doctor once every other day every other day god that seems super convenient and easy <laughs> Yeah, and most and most of the visits were like I would sit and wait 10 minutes, they would call me back. They would be like lift up your shirt, they would listen to the heartbeat, be like everything feel good, you look good, everything good. Okay, bye, see you in 2 days. Like it it is like look. You know how Mitch Hedberg had that joke about how uh, you know, those catch and release fishing shows kind of refresh me. He doesn't quite get. He had, he had a joke that was like, you know, he he was watching a fishing show where they caught the fish and they didn't eat it. They just let it go. They didn't want to eat the fish. They just wanted to make it late for something. (laughs) You know? And like, this is how I feel about all of these laws. It's like, they're not actually going to stop people from having abortions. They just want to make it the biggest pain in the ass
0: possible. As hard and as expensive and inconvenient as humanly possible. Just, here's the thing. These people love punishment so much.
1: Just hire a dominatrix. Just hire (laughs) a professional to give you all of the spankings that you feel like you want in your life and quit externalizing the spankings on the rest of the world,
0: you know? I hard agree on that one.
1: Yeah, hard agree. Okay, well, we've got more ranting that we could do about this, but I wanted to move on to—we've got some fun—we've got a fun toast this week, yeah. And not like a not like a screwdriver to the frowning chamber.
0: Kind no, of toast. no, no, no. That's actually a bit of a roast,
1: yeah, that's a troast, a troast. <laughs> <laughs> it was a backhanded toast a new segment <laughs> Tr- get your so... troast mugs, oh God oh. <laughs> um. We did kind of touch a little bit on uh, the Oscars. It's now Thursday when you're listening to this, so I'm sure everybody has moved on to something else. But we wanted to take a pause and recognize something that really didn't get discussed um, in light of some of the the more, like, you know, culture grab, <laughs> Yeah, chaotic events of, of the night. And that is Coda winning
0: big. Big. Yeah. Big. Coda had a huge fucking night, and we just wanted to toast CODA. CODA, which stands for Child of Deaf Adults, first streamer to win Best Picture. First Sundance movie to take the top Oscar as well. Um, And uh,
1: supporting Troy Kotzer became the first male who is deaf and the second actor who's deaf to win an Oscar. And the first was his co-star Marley Matlin who won 35 years ago for uh, Children of a Lesser God. So, what's really cool about CODA and what is is really important? Is that it really increases deaf visibility in a way mm-hmm. that people who are deaf have appreciated and, and gotten to enjoy, and and it's really cool to see those stories have so much visibility. Definitely. Okay. So toast to Coda. Also, a a, a posthumous toast to one Madeline Albright,
0: one of the baddest bitches ever in the federal government.
1: Can I share a quick Madeleine Albright story? Madeleine Albright, by the way, former Secretary of State under President Clinton, the first female Secretary of State, passed away a week ago Wednesday of mm-hmm. cancer at age 84. You know, on one hand, I'm like, 84, that's a nice long life. On the other hand, I'm like, ah, why can we have <laughs> Madeline around for like 15 more years? Totally. It's, it's possible. People do live to be 100. Uh, Jimmy Carter do not trend on Twitter or I will get a heart attack. Um, so Albright was the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. from 1993 to 97. She was secretary of state from 1997 to 2001. Uh, President Biden described her as a force and uh, flags were flown at half staff at the White House and government buildings, including embassies and uh, until March 27th. So there was a few days they were uh, flown at half staff. Uh, She was famously tough. She was a famous wearer of brooches. Pin diplomacy, baby. Passive aggressive sender of messages via brooches. (laughs) Um, You know, I was a kid when she kind of ascended to, I just thought, As a kid, this is a very, like, visibility matters type situation. I thought it was so cool that we had a female secretary of state. Mm -hmm. I thought she was so cool. And, you know, I now, as an adult, have a little bit more of a nuanced, you know, nuanced way of looking at her and her her life and and the decisions she's made. Nobody is 100% good. Nobody is 100% bad. But I really looked up to her as a kid. I picked Madeline as my confirmation name. Whoa, no way! Yeah, well, because I didn't really want to be Catholic (laughs) Right. <laughs> I, I just kind of like, I just like, so she was like secretly my saint, even though I had to be like, yeah, I'm Saint Madeline or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, I, I really thought she was cool. And uh, when I was like, it was 2013, maybe 2013, yeah, I was on a a train to DC and she got on in Philly and sat a couple of rows ahead of me. And I tweeted about it, and she tweeted back at me, and I got to meet her. No way! Yeah, and I took pictures with her and stuff. And that was just like—it was one of those things where I was legitimately starstruck by her. Um, And again, you know, everybody in public service has a complicated legacy, so I'm not going to pretend like she's just this completely black and white person. But, you know, she was somebody who I was looked up to and— thought she was pretty cool. so Yeah. Um,
0: and I mean, she was short, which is awesome for me. <laughs> Wait, how short was she? She was pretty short, I think. Yeah, I guess in the picture, she's just like a, a wee lady. I don't think she was like Barbara Mikulski short, but right. like, I think she was pretty short. And I uh, I got to meet her a couple times too. And I so famously fell asleep on her corduroy sofa once watching Footloose while John Kerry interviewed John Edwards to be vice president. <laughs> that is a great story there you
1: go there that you is go. a great story so a toast to madeline albright a real one a real one all right let's take a quick break and when we come back we've got an interview with a person you might recognize All right. And welcome back. Today, we are so excited to welcome back a woman who can turn a blizzard into a pep rally. She is the chairwoman of the Senate Democratic Steering and Outreach Committee. She currently sits on the Senate Judiciary Committee and is one of our top 10 favorite Minnesotans. Amy Klobuchar, Senator, welcome. Well, thank you, Erin. It's great to be back again. Um, Well, let's just get right to it because I know you have a busy day. So, the Senate Judiciary Committee just wrapped up hearings on Katanji Brown-Jackson's SCOTUS confirmation. In your view as a member of the committee, what were the high and low points of those hearings?
3: Well, there were a lot of both. And I would say, obviously, get the bed over first. The low points were some of the over-the-top questioning. Uh, the high points, and by the way, not everyone did that, including not everyone Republican. And in fact, someone off the committee, a Republican off the committee, Susan Collins, just announced that she will be voting uh, for Judge Jackson. So as I've always predicted, she will have bipartisan support. We don't know if she'll pick up other votes. And the reason she got that support and the reason the public is with her more strongly than you've seen in decades for any nominee is because of the grace under pressure, uh, because of her incredible dignity in the face of adversity and because of her uh, experience and uh, legal acumen she will literally get to the court as having more judging experience uh, than four people had when they got on the court that are currently on there right she will be in the top two of trial experience as a judge uh, Sonia Sotomayor being the other one Um, and her um, ability to, I would say, take complex subjects, which he's been known in as as a judge, and explain them in ways that people can relate uh, without having a Ph.D. or a legal degree is something sorely needed in the court right now. Uh, Not to mention her just sensible way of looking at the law and her ability to believe in the law and the Constitution and understand that it impacts real people that every decision there's someone else on the other end of that decision, whether it's. um, Someone who wants to have health care, or whether it's someone uh, wants to be able to make their own health decisions or whether it's an immigrant or whether it is someone that simply wants clean water and air so. Overall, uh, she was incredible, and I feel really good about that moment when America is going to see her walk into that courthouse with her head held high uh, as the first black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, it's really exciting, and my my brother's a public defender, and he was so excited that there's an actual public defender who's going to be on the court. That's yeah, that's a
3: good point, Aaron. Because think about it. they all get in that room, no one, and they discuss cases. They they should. They've always done it that way. And for the first time in history, in the room where it happens, where they're actually making decisions, there'll be someone with a public defender background.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. Um, so this is less fun, less exciting, less celebratory. Last week, it was widely reported that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny, sent a flurry of, I'm just calling it unhinged, kind of unhinged texts to then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, urging him to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. All this while her husband was ruling on cases directly related to his wife's pet causes, which makes Clarence Thomas look pretty corrupt. So how do you solve a problem like Ginny Thomas?
3: You are just, I guess you have this podcast because you ask questions in a very interesting way. So let's start with this. What happened is unbelievable. You have the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice who is sending tax asking the chief of staff to then President Trump, asking a sitting president's chief of staff to overturn a legal election, basically basically supporting an insurrection when she knows the cases are gonna come before her husband. So step back a second. If that happened with any other federal judge, they would be legally bound under the ethics rules to what we call recuse themselves, to not be involved in a case. Every other federal judge, not just state, federal judges, Why not the Supreme Court? Well, they have taken the position that these ethics rules don't apply to them. And that includes, by the way, taking honorarium, going on fancy trips, all kinds of things. So the first thing it cries out for is, of course, that he recuses himself going forward on election cases. The second thing it calls out for is ethics rules, something I've been long advocating for. Chris Murphy has a bill uh, that I am a sponsor of and making sure that they have ethics rules too, because The ethics rules actually say if a family member, a family member, is doing something that creates an appearance of impropriety where the judge can't be impartial, they have to recuse themselves from the case. By the way, Thomas himself recused himself from a case involving a school when his son went there. Can you believe it? He did that in 1995. Um, Justice Breyer recused himself from a case because his wife was on the board of the uh, entity that was before the court. This happens all the time. But this guy, if the court wants to have any credibility here and in integrity, I think Justice Roberts, who I respect for, has got to come out and he's got to say, we're going to do these ethics rules. And going forward, Justice Thomas has, is going to be recusing himself.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping that in this era, uh, post-scruples era, people are able to find some scruples when it comes to this. Um, so, Senator, in the Senate, you're known as an increasingly rare adult who gets shit done. So let's talk about two bills you've introduced. The first addresses shipping backlogs for a lot of people. Their eyes glaze over when they hear the words like shipping and logistics. But this is a, dare I say, exciting bill to address these issues. So can you tell us a little bit about it?
3: Sure. Well, you've all heard about the supply chain and problems and many people have seen it. You go into a grocery store, you can't find stuff or prices have gone up. There's a lot of remedies for that, including workforce. I personally think we need... Um, To make sure that people are getting degrees and we help them go to school, but they get degrees where we have the openings. I also think we need to have uh, immigration reform. Um, But the other piece of this is an outrageous situation with uh, foreign-run shipping alliances. These are, are of course, uh, the people that are owning these ships, immensely rich, and they, in the last year, increased their profits sevenfold. And all the while telling American farmers and American manufacturers, which, of course, affects our consumers, hey, we're going to jack up the price here. I guess you'll have to put it through to consumers for you to ship stuff. And guess what? We just don't have enough capacity for you. Then what we found out is they've been shipping things in from China and other places, and they're so eager to send their ships back that they go back shipping air instead of putting our stuff our American-made goods on the ships. They've been shipping back a bunch of empty containers. So I joined forces with Senator Thune, Republican of South Dakota, my neighbor when it comes to Minnesota. And right in the middle of the Midwest, we see this in a big way. We reached out to other senators, uh, the House members also really strong on this. They went first um, and they got the bill passed through in the House. And now we're passing ours in the Senate. I hope by the time this podcast airs, uh, the bill will have passed uh, in the next few hours. Um, and we're very excited about it because it's going to give the Federal Maritime Commission uh, the ability the ability um, to um, enforce these rules and give them some more backbone uh, when it comes to enforcing the rules against the shipping alliances.
1: Hmm. That's great. It also seems like environmentally also just a huge waste to ship. Completely. Like, That's ships a really good air.
3: thought because uh, you, you've got these empty containers just going back and forth. They're also with our, Ports of which we put, with thanks to President Biden, incredible amount of um, funding with the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and all my colleagues that support it, including myself. Um, we're going to be building back up the ports again and putting some resources into them. But right now, as you know, it's precious resources to dock at one of these ports and unload your stuff. And so here you are wasting wasting those moments uh, by not loading goods in and just putting in crates of nothing. Uh, It's then you use those crates to put stuff in it from China or another country, they come back. It's outrageous. And we want to be a country that makes stuff, invents things and exports to the world. And to do that, yes, you've got to have people uh, who have the great ideas and are allowed no matter where they come from, no matter where they grew up, allowed to go to school and get jobs and do that. And you also need to have an infrastructure system, transportation system that works. And weirdly, because I don't think it's the first thing anyone thinks of, that also involves people who only ships, and they're all foreign-owned pretty much, 99% aren't ripping us off.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a very succinct sum. And you would rarely hear me say this, but kudos to Senator Thune. It's, uh, it's very cool that you guys are working together on that. Um, I also recently learned that the Capitol has 252 male sculptures and only 14 female sculptures. Senator, what is being done about that?
3: Yes, Aaron. Well, a lot has been done. As you know, a number of sculptures have come down of people with uh, Confederate ties and the like. But to me, that it doesn't end there, right? What it should be about is adding new faces and new people and making sure we remember our heritage, uh, whether it is... Uh, the Rosa Parks statue, we want to also add one of Harriet Tubman. There's a bill that I'm supportive of, Thurgood Marshall, many things we can do there. But the other piece of it is women. Think of it, 200 sculptures and only 14 women. You walk around here, little girls walk around here that are actually believe they can be president one day, and then all they see is a bunch of old guys, okay? I don't mean <laughs> in the Senate, I mean <laughs> in the sculptures. So what we did is I thought, uh, actually, Justice Ginsburg's daughter and granddaughter came to see me right after she died. And they said, we really would love to honor our mom and grandma. And I said, of course. And then I thought to myself, well, if we're going to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we should also honor Justice O'Connor, because she was the first woman on the Supreme Court. And so I got a group of senators, including Susan Collins, who just announced her support, of course, uh, for Judge Jackson, and women uh, led the bill. And we put the bill in. We gathered the support in the Senate. We passed it in the Senate, just passed in the House. President Biden's going to sign it into law. And I had so much fun Um, uh, the other night. I got to call uh, Jane Ginsburg. I got to call uh, Justice Ginsburg's daughter. And then I also got to call Scott O'Connor, who is... Uh, Justice O'Connor's son. And of course, we've lost both of these icons, um, but they're really, really excited. Um, and I somehow think more kids on school tours are going to want to think see these two women uh, as statues that some of the old guys that we can't even remember whose names they are.
1: <laughs> I mean, also, I feel like it would be a little bit more difficult just psychologically to pass aggressively anti-woman laws with these two. Yeah, exactly right. They're making eye contact. Like, I see what's going on. Come on. I'm right here. So um, in honor of Women's History Month, is there a woman who, from, from the present or the past, who you think is doing great work or has done incredible work, who flies under the radar and is a little undersung that you'd like to mm-hmm. shout out?
3: I did want to just acknowledge, because she never flew under the radar, Madeline Albright, who we just lost, if yeah. you think of uh, people who ha- who um, shouldn 't be forgotten as a first in so many ways and hilarious by the way mm-hmm. um, was incredible. Um, I think about people at the Senate. Um, I just can't help but think of my home base. I think of someone like Maisie Hirono, who I know everyone knows, but maybe not quite the household name, the senator from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Man, she did this gun violence bill with me. She's helping on an immigration issue with South Korea. That's incredible. She's And she went through really serious cancer uh, and has come out the other end. And she just keeps doing it. And you, you, she's just this Pillar of strength. So, someone I think of that you know you might not think of uh, every every single day. And there's just women. There's these incredible cadre of women ambassadors right now. I was just with the Canadian ambassador, mm-hmm. Ambassador Hillman, um, and of course they're one of our strongest allies. Um, and I still remember it was the Canadian ambassador that had the banners that said, friend, ally, partner, um, rights going down on their on their embassy. And we negotiated in the last few years the U.S.-Mexican-Canadian uh, trade agreement. And uh, Ambassador Homan has been dealing with a lot of issues at our border. Remember the trucks? Oh, as well as um, opening our borders and has been a big advocate for that. And we finally have gotten him open. So again, maybe unsung women that you don't realize, but there's not been that many women in the diplomatic corps. So honoring uh, her and Madeline Albrecht, Wendy Sherman that I just was with, she did a briefing on Ukraine, who is key in negotiating the Iranian agreement in the past, is in the State Department. You just see women that maybe aren't elected, uh, that are in these incredible positions of power, and watching her take the questions from, especially some of the Republican senators in this classified uh, briefing, and and answering them with so many facts and truths, and it really brought the brings the temperature down sometimes. So she's just someone else because I just saw her two hours ago. So.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's you know in the in light of the Judge Jackson hearings and what you're telling me, I just really feel like. Any past uh, uh, critique of women as like the emotional ones was way off base because I feel like I feel like women we're witnessing over and over. Women are the ones that like bring the temperature down, calm things down and get things
3: done. Completely. And I think that's just coming true. And you just had to give people that opportunity because when you have so few women in power, you're not really going to see that as much. And it's a multiplying factor. Uh, The more you put in, the more they put in. I remember when I first um, uh, became the county attorney in Hennepin County, and I had these two jobs to fill. Most of the people were career people, and there was like 400 people working there. And I had my two deputies, kind of one on the criminal side, one on the civil side, and I ended up picking two women. And so here I'm the first woman in the job. I picked two women to run it, and I end up uh, taking them to lunch, right? They didn't know each other to celebrate this moment. And the waiter came over and says, this is 1998, how are you three little gals doing? Are you taking a break from work? Here I am. power trio oh, and i said no um i am going to be the hennepin county attorney it was right before i got in and these are my two women deputies who are running this office and anyway oh uh, they man did incredible work they um they both became judges actually so oh, that's
1: great that's great little yeah. gals don't call women little gals yeah. adults of all genders do not exactly. do it Well, Senator Klobuchar, thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you at the state
3: fair later this year. Okay. Oh, very good. We'll be ready. Thanks
1: so much, Senator. Thank you. Bye. Here at Hysteria, we think Women's History Month should celebrate more than the Amelia Earhart's and the Susan B. Anthony's of the world. We need to celebrate the complicated, the messy, the boat rockers, the revolutionaries. And so in that spirit, here is our next installment in a series of minis about women that we think you should know. And we're calling it Madam Hysteria. Today's Madam Hysteria is Elizabeth Packard. Elizabeth Ann Packard was a teacher and mother of six who lived a relatively unremarkable life in Kankakee County, Illinois, and had an unremarkable marriage to an unremarkable man whose most remarkable trait was that his name was Theophilius. But Packard's life took a remarkable turn in 1860, when she started to voice opinions that put her on a collision course with her strict Calvinist husband. Packard questioned his religion, talked a little bit of smack behind his back, and spoke openly in support of abolitionist John Brown, a fact that reportedly embarrassed Theo. Theo responded totally rationally by having Elizabeth thrown in an insane asylum against her will where she was imprisoned from 1860 to 1863. At the time in Illinois, it was legal for a man to have his wife institutionalized for essentially mouthing off. But Elizabeth fought against her institutionalization, and in 1863, a jury took only seven minutes to declare her legally sane and released her from captivity. When Elizabeth returned home, she found that her husband had sold all of her things, rented the house to somebody else, and moved all six of her children to Massachusetts. She tried to sue in both Illinois and Massachusetts, but as a woman, Packard had no rights to property or her own children in either state. So she was SOL. And so Packard became an activist against involuntary confinement, and worked to have these laws changed and was eventually able to reunite with her kids in 1869. She wrote several books and founded the Anti-Insane Asylum Society and is now credited with spearheading structural changes to both marital property rights and asylums. And now you know. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast, their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes, And welcome back, Alyssa. Have you ever noticed a correlation between people who say speak English, this is America, and people who are terrible at speaking English? Sometimes they have red hats on. <laughs> I, I've never I've never been like, "Oh, well, speak English because it is such a beautiful language," as demonstrated by this master of words. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a very good point. It's like, no, well, no, like you don't even you're bad at, at communicating. Like maybe you should get better at communicating and and mind your own mind your own garden, you know, before yeah. you start sending the bunnies into mine. I just made up a <laughs> saying. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Mind your own garden before sending the bunnies into mine. And with that, I'm going to bring in our two conversational partners for this personal political segment. Uh, two of our favorites. You know them. You love them. First, you can see her opening for Hassan Minaj in Florida this Thursday, the 31st in Jacksonville and Friday 4 one in Hollywood, Florida. Kieran Deal. Kieran. Hi. That's huge.
2: Yeah, I am I love the way as you're reading it, you're like, oh, this is happening? Yeah, you're it's like, going to be so fun. It's going to be so fun. I was almost like, I wish I was in Florida, but I don't wish I was in Florida. But I you kind of
1: wish you were in Florida. I would teleport to that show because I,
2: <laughs> because I I love seeing your comedy, and Hassan is great. Very good. He's very good. So And his show is, I mean, it should be very polished by this point because he's been touring it. I think this is the last leg of the tour. So Is this
1: Homecoming King?
2: No, it's called King's Jester. Um, oh, okay, it's called the King's Jester. So it's his follow up to Homecoming King.
1: Okay, um, cool. that I
2: think he'll be taping. I don't know when he's going to be taping it. Probably in the next six months after cool. this is over. Yeah. Do you have any special jokes planned for April Fool's Day in Hollywood, Florida? Ooh. Are you going to pretend like you're in Hollywood, California, and you're confused? That's great. Great. Let's. I actually, I'm on the pod today to just do a quick brainstorm about what my April Fool's jokes will be <laughs> for that. In you know, Hollywood I was thinking of being a prop comic, bringing some stink bombs maybe. <laughs> no? No? Uh,
1: you could wear just a novelty t-shirt that says, like, I'm with stupid with an arrow to your own face. <laughs> <laughs>
2: One of those, like, hats with, like, the propeller on yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Totally. I, I look forward to hearing about your epic April Fool's Day prank. By the way april fool's day bullshit holiday people don't understand pranks
2: yeah it seems uh it seems questionable at best and and i didn't even think about what it means to be doing comedy on april fool's day i also think it's going to be the first time that like my folks come to a show like i think my mom's come to an open mic one time <laughs> oh how do you yeah. feel about that I don't feel anything. I can't feel anything right now. Is that right? It's like I feel numb inside. Anyway, so if anyone if anyone ends up coming to the Hollywood show, Hassan show, which I think will be great, um say hi. Oh yeah, that I mean, we have the best listeners, best fans.
1: Best, best fans. Best fans in the biz and like I'm not even Say, I wouldn't, I don't make up compliments. That's that's a personal policy of mine. I just, ours are the best. And there's they no, are the best. There's they're, no they're, getting
2: I met a couple in San Francisco. They give their love. They're like, tell Aaron and Alyssa, I said hi. Oh, that's
1: so nice. I know. Well, now you're yeah. telling us. And there's evidence that you've told us because we're recording this. So yes. That's, that's great. That's great. I could have
2: done it offline, but <laughs> I did it online. You did it
1: online. <laughs> now there's documentation. You need to document. Okay. Um, up next. So excited that she's on this week. Her new book, You Sound Like a White Girl, The Case for Rejecting Assimilation is out now. Go buy the book. Julissa Arce, congratulations. Thank you for being here this week.
4: Thank you so much. I'm so excited. We're also recording on my birthday. So I'm glad to spend Ah! time with y'all today. Oh
1: my goodness. Um, Happy birthday. Thank
4: you. And you know, I have an event in Los Angeles, April 1st, that they told me is sold out. And now I'm like, what if that's Ooh. an April Fool's joke? What if it's not? <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The negative self-talk that happens even in the middle oh of… Oh, my God. No, it's sold out. It's sold out. It's sold out for real. It's sold out okay. for real. Yeah.
4: And I'm really excited. It's been, it's been sold out for like a week. So I'm, I, I'm excited. The
1: twinge of recognition I felt for that feeling, though, Julisa. I think that's called… What is it called? Um… Oh, it's imposter syndrome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And we've <laughs> yes. done a
4: whole episode on that. And I was on it. And I was like, girl,
1: own your shit. And now. I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's so, um, how how's everything going? You I've seen on the on the gram that you've been touring. How's the book tour and everything? It's been so amazing.
4: Like, I've
1: I've had I
4: had an event in Claremont, one in New York and two in DC. And all of them were just Incredible! Like the amount of people that came, the energy in the room. People had already finished reading the book by the time they came, even though it had been out for like two days. Um, it's just been—it's—it's it's really, really warmed my heart. I feel like I'm being cuddled by my community, <laughs> and it feels really nice.
1: Oh, that's great! I'm—I am in—in in the book right now. I'm reading it, and it to me feels like having a great conversation with you. Like you're so smart and you're so fun to talk to and you're so passionate and you always have such interesting things to say and you're so fearless about the way you say them and it's just I love it. I love it so far. Great great work. Thank you. I'm so glad that
4: it reads that way because when I when I started writing it. I had read a bunch of books for research and those were very academic works, like very academic sub- works about how the Latino identity was formulated and manifest destinies and how the Mexican-American War has played into the history of the United States. And And so when my first draft was horrible because I started writing in that academic voice and I was like, wait a minute, this is not this is not how I talk. This is not how I write. So I'm glad that through many drafts, I was able to fix that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's certain kinds of writing that if you read it, it like fucks with your writing for a little bit. Yeah. Which and academic writing is one of them. And very, very bad writing is another Mm, one. Yeah. Like I had to read the twilight books for work. Or no, there's Fifty Shades of Grey books, even worse for work. Oh, God. And for like two weeks afterwards, I'm like, I am worse writer, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that you got to read academic books instead of, uh, instead of Fifty, 50 Shades. Shades of Grey. <laughs> I wonder how I might have used that for research for… <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I mean, it would have been its own form of like it,
2: it deliberately inflicted pain. Yeah. Um the sentence i had to read 50 shades of gray for work and then it's like just seeing like all of these like salacious sex scenes just pop up into your <laughs> journalistic writing you're like i'm in the bathroom <laughs> the sponge is Dripping down the edge of the, <laughs> the edge of the bathtub. I think uh, I'm crushing this. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely— That's a great
1: impression of me, Karen. You should do it on a. No, April that's April an impression 6. of
2: you doing an impression of Fifty Shades Grey.
1: Oh my God, um, Julissa. I want to. I want to talk a little bit about like this week. Perfect couple of guests. We want to talk about assimilation, which is the topic of your book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you tell our listeners a little bit? about like the general thesis of the book and what assimilation is to you and to people in your community.
4: Yeah. So the the thesis of the book is pretty simple. It's it's to say that assimilating does not give us belonging in America. That assimilation is a lie that it it tears us away from who we really are, our culture, our customs for only the illusion of belonging. And then I sort of go into and give a lot of historical examples, um, some personal stories to kind of make that make that case. One of the analogies that I use in the book is that of a snake, right? Like a snake sheds its skin, but it gets to remain a snake. It, mm-hmm. At its core, at its essence, it's still a snake. Assimilation is not like that. Assimilation requires us, people of color, immigrants, to shed who we are and become something else, something that to me became unrecognizable because in many ways I did assimilate, you know I did um, I didn't want to speak Spanish. even when people spoke Spanish to me, I would not speak Spanish back to them uh, because I was like, I want them to know I speak English, you know and and so much of that came from just growing up in a, in in a in a community where uh, I grew up in San Antonio, so when I was like at home, in San Antonio, uh, I never felt like I didn't belong because there were so many people like me who spoke with accents, et cetera. But then as soon as I stepped outside of that community, I had to like become something else if I was ever going to be accepted, except I never really was. Um, so all that to say, I think assimilation is a really big lie, one that um, has never worked in our mm-hmm. favor.
1: So can you tell me a little bit more about the title? You talk about it in the book. Um you know, the phrase you sound like a white girl, where did it come from? What what was the context? uh, And how did it make you feel at the time? This guy I had a crush on uh,
4: when I was 14. We were on the phone. I had like snuck the phone into my room because, you know, I wasn't allowed to talk to boys. And uh, he said, you sound like a white girl. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, I sound like a white girl. Like how awesome. I did it because I had spent so long, like, standing in front of a mirror, trying to enunciate my words to sound a certain way. And and then later on in life, that same phrase, you sound like a white girl, was used uh, by members of my community against me to be like, well, you sound like a white girl. You're not really Mexican. Uh, you know, you look whitewashed. You you know, you're not authentic enough. And so this phrase is sort of like a double-edged sword in the same way that assimilation is a double-edged sword for us. Um so yeah, that's, that's where the title came from. Uh, you sound like a white girl. It's funny because people, people, I think some people find like the irony in the title and other people are like, that's a racist title. Why are you saying that? And I'm like, please read the book (laughs) and then then talk to me.
1: (laughs) Oh man. It's, uh, it's unfortunate how many people just would immediately jump to racism there. Like it's, it's it's whatever. People yeah. <laughs> a lot of people have a lot to work through when it comes to ideas around like race and assimilation for sure. Um Kieran, I'm really glad you're on this particular episode too, because you um also have like personal experience with pressure to assimilate. So what does that mean to you? Um and, and what do you think of what
2: Julisa just said? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really um, it's a really I'm I'm really fascinated to read your book, honestly, because it's. um, I think about like how it's different. Like my grandparents came from India to England, and then they worked. You know, they worked in factories when like the kind of um, when the border opened up after partition for Punjabi people. So like my grandmother's English still isn't good in England. Do you know what I mean? But I have a grand. I have one grandfather who can speak like excellent English, you know, was a school teacher, principal. And then my other grandmother can't speak good English. Um, Like she's really, she can't really speak, she can like get around, but she's, her English is not great, you know. Um, And then the, and then it's interesting to look at the generation after that with my parents who went to school at like 14 ish, 15-ish in England and then had to learn English as a second language, what that looked like, the adversity they faced versus me being born in England. So having this like um, leg up and how I wish my Punjabi was better, how I wish my like Hindi was better, you know? Um, but there's the there's the little things like you can remember. Um, like I can remember when I was like, five, like I was in kindergarten and there was a, like we had a nap time where we we're supposed to bring our towels and we we're all like, man, we don't need a nap. We're cool. And I was like, <laughs> "Now it's like what I would give for professional <laughs> nap times <laughs> worked into my day. Oh, hashtag the dream. <laughs> and we would all bring music, like music to play. And I think I brought like shabths, like these um religious, like a kind of a, a, a sound. And it was like something I remember being proud of and I played them and people were like what is this like people not recognizing the the sound of the thing or you think it's cool cuz it's from your family and then your fam and then like your peers essentially tell you this is weird or this isn't cool kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and it's not, it's just like kids not knowing their shit, whatever, it's fine. But it's interesting how those like memories stay with you as like, oh, like that thing of there's just some moments of like, oh, I'm different or this isn't good, or this food doesn't smell good, or like, you know, this smell is weird. You know, mm-hmm. like those kinds of things are are fascinating and and hopefully how the ownership of that has changed over time. Like being South Asian wasn't cool. And then like now it's all like yoga, turmeric lattes. (laughs) Like it's so interesting to see that shift. And like so many South Asians I know are like, bitch, I grew up with that shit and you made (laughs) fun of me. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Julissa, you're kind
1: of nodding in recognition. Do you (laughs) relate to what Karen was saying? Do you see similar things happening with uh, Latino culture?
4: Yeah. I I mean, I think that's – so, you know, it, whenever um you were saying Kieran, about, you know, my grandmother doesn't speak good English or uh, you know, this food was different. I part of what I talk about in the book is that that we sort of need to move away from because it's like it's it's good English in relation to what, you know? It's like food that smells funny in relation to what. And 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 I mean, for me the answer is like in relation to to whiteness, right? It's like white people are Considered the standard, and the way that white people speak, and what they eat, and how they dress—that's the standard. And then all the rest of us are measuring ourselves against that standard, or comparing ourselves against that standard. And so, part of what I encourage us to do in the book is to move away from that standard, because like white people are not the center of the universe, and they never have been, and we were made to believe that they were. And so, um, and you know, and then the other part of it was just like the whole cultural appropriation part where it's like, if white people are doing it, then it's cool. Um, And it's not until white people do it that it is cool. And so I've, I've been really encouraged by people like bad bunny who he's like, I sing in in Spanish and I sing in Spanish and I'm not going to like cross over and all of a sudden start singing in, in English or like, Becky G who's also, um, who's also sort of made, uh, her career, uh, around Latino music and singing in Spanish. And I'm so glad to see those examples of people who don't, who no longer feel like they have to cross over, like crossing over into the English market, into the white market. Like our community is enough. Like, and so, uh, so yeah, you know, I, I, I relate to a lot of that. like Experiences with little kids Like yeah Little kids are assholes Many times And You know Such
1: assholes They don't
4: They don't know Like I feel like Little kids don't know But but you know It's like Little kids So I was in New York This weekend And we were at this wine bar And this lady This white lady uh, Was holding her baby And and my friend Had her baby with her And so the The lady was in line For the bathroom Which was right in front Of our table And We're not We were not speaking Spanish You know We were speaking in English to each other. And the lady tells her little kid to like a little baby kid uh, to tell my friend's kid, hola, como estas? And I'm like, why? Like, but this is where the kid's learning it. You know, the kid's learning it before he can't even speak that if he sees people that look like us, they should talk to us in Spanish. And it's like, we do speak Spanish and that's fine. But also, you know, kids... You can teach your kids something different because they learn it from somewhere,
1: Mhm, yeah, that's really interesting. that's like the the sort of like op- it's like coming at kind of cultural condescension in the opposite direction of the red hat type
4: people mm.
1: you know yeah, it's you like know,
4: maybe she was just trying to be nice and I and right, and, but and that's still like what matters is
1: how what matters is like how it was processed by the people at which it was directed. Mm-hmm. Not like what matter the the feelings
2: of the white lady are not the most important thing here. That's season three, episode one of Atlanta kind of I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at it. That that pilot of Atlanta, the season not three, yet. it's it is it, it's low key genius is like a stat, it's um based on a true story and it's kind of examining exactly that. Like these um based on a true story where these uh two white women adopt a bunch of uh, black kids and then the towel comes with like the name as mm. she could like, it's like the name is Larry. Cause his name is too hard to say, you know, like there's just interesting, like what is the culture? The other thing Jalissa, that I thought was interesting about what you said though, is, is, it's a. It can be a bit of a two-way street because it's like in, in England, for example, it's like now the national dish is like the thali. It's like a, it's an Indian dish because British food is uh, terrible. Please get me <laughs> on <my laughs> heard, uh <laughs> saying that. It's uh, terrible. So they're like, oh, my God, spices. We're so excited about this. So, you know, couched in like this like gesture of, yes, there's like – do you know what I mean? Like the, uh, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how a majority culture will assimilate – Pieces of you could call it appropriation too, but will actually take things from the um from the immigrants who come, and now we all eat like Italians used to be garbage, but now we all eat pasta and pizza all the time, you know, yeah. and like whatever whatever the you know do you know what I mean like yeah, the yeah. way that those immigrant cultures become uh, integrated into whatever the majority culture is is the other piece of that that I find. Um, I find really interesting and how the response to that is different depending on the generation that you're from.
4: Yeah. And that that to me, it's like some, like, you know, I feel like tacos in the US are, they're just like as American as they are Mexican to me now, right? Like yeah. tacos is an American food. Um, And in the book, I I quote this line from um, Ann Coulter where she's like, the only good thing about the Mexicans is their food, and we don't need 158 million of them um, for the restaurants. And so, like, oh, it's okay. also like just like a reminder. Like, for to some people, it's like yes, like the culture is beautiful, but like we just want to keep the culture and the good things, but we don't want the people. You know, we don't want to associate with the people.
1: Um, okay, yeah. I have I have like a serious issue with that. First of all, I've met Ann Coulter before, and that bitch does not eat. Does not (laughs) eat
2: at all. She does not eat. She's like, she hasn't had a taco or any other um, food. You know what? She does not,
4: she does not deserve tacos, so.
1: uh. (laughs) Um, Something I've been thinking about when I um, read about assimilation is I think about like, you know, my grandparents, like, you know, like what Karen was implying was that, that like different groups have kind of cycled through being like the- like, others, the other culture in the U.S., like, Jewish people have been otherized and continue to be otherized. And, you know, there's, like, different groups of different immigrants as they came over were, like, on the on the outside until they were, like, incorporated into the, like, American body. And Alyssa, I wonder if this is the case for you, too. Um, but, like, you know, I had some Irish relatives who would oh, always— yeah. Tell us the story of how it used to be that Irish people had a really—was
0: that, like, part of your family lore, too? Oh, for sure. Like, assimilation was part of your family lore? It was—well, it's interesting because I think my dad's side of the family assimilated much more than my mom's side. Um, My oma and opa, my uncle Dieter, my mom, they didn't speak English in their house. Uh, They only spoke German. And my Oma, what happened is because they came from Germany in the 1940s, you guys, just FYI, coming to America as a German in the 1940s, people were like, are you a Nazi? Um, and so they lived with other Germans that they knew. In this case, my Oma was from Bavaria. And, you know, they just built, I mean, she was surrounded by German people until she died. I mean, like, I'm sure she, I, I she could speak. She could speak English, like she could understand English. But I mean, when I was a baby, one of the funniest things, which neither my mother or father would ever remember, but I do, is that we had been at my oma's house, and I came back to my house, and I was maybe two, three, and I said "shrigamuda, shrigamuda, shrigamuda." My dad's like, "What is she saying?" My mom's like, "Shut the fuck up!" And yeah. I'm like, "What?" Turns out "shrigamuda" is the is the word, or or some. And again, my oma didn't even speak like. Classic German, you know, they spoke a dialect of, of Bavarian. Schwiegemutter means mother-in-law, and so when my oma called to make sure that we made it back, okay, my dad's like, "Julie, what does Schwiegemutter mean?" And she's like, "Mother-in-law." My dad's like, "Why does this child know the word for mother-in-law after getting back?" I mean,
2: huh. they might—they might have they been talking.
0: They might have been talking some shit, but oh. um, but no, it was, and she was so proud. Like, there was nothing that. That, you know, she ate – she only cooked German food except for uh, – they liked Burger King. They did like to go to Burger King. <laughs> and frozen chicken cordon bleu were their big sort of like American foods. But no. <laughs> and and it's funny because this is – and please, like I'm a fucking white person. So I'm not trying to say that I had any sort of journey here. But um, my middle name is Mendy M-E-N-D-E, which is German Jewish – South of France kind of name that you would find there. And when I got to the White House, someone actually was like, what are you, a little Nazi? And I was like, oh, my God, do people still fucking say shit like that? That's crazy. And, like, obviously, no.
3: I mean, like, yeah. Course, because <laughs> my <it>. my <laughs> own
0: – she was actually – they were righteous – uh, they were righteous Gentiles. They, they, The reason they fled Germany is because they were being chased by Nazis for helping Jews get out of Germany. So it's always been a, like, she's so, they were just so proud that she didn't care. Like, they just lived in the same community with the same people. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was, yeah. that was kind of our, that was our thing. And I try to speak German, but it's really hard, so hard. It's a beautiful language. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Ech das asht. You know, I mean, like all the words I know are not compliments, which meant das asht is like that ass. She's right. She used right, to, she used it's to it's say like, my butt was big. <laughs> uh, it's like Spanish or
1: Italian, but in
0: the place of the the beautiful round open vowels, you have like consonants. Yeah, but you know, of- but you know what's so interesting to what Jalisa was saying about the white lady in the bar is that. My Oma and my mom and my dad always felt that only knowing how to speak English was not okay. They're like, you should know how to speak other languages. You should be able to go to other countries Mm -hmm. and be able to communicate. It is not on the world to speak English. So I took French. I tried, you know, I, I knew a fair, not a fair amount. I knew enough German to get by and I took Japanese. And so now that Jalisa told that story, I just want to like issue a public apology to every sushi <laughs> restaurant I've gone into where at the end of the meal, and it's like, you know, it's a sushi restaurant that's Japanese cuisine. And at the end of every meal, I'm always like, deshita, which means it was a feast. It means like it signals I couldn't eat more. And now I'm like, oh my God, it never occurred to me that I was being fucking who Jalisa's writing about in her book. But anyway, so I, I just- mean,
4: I don't you got no, just... have been, I think it's all about the context that this thing's happening. You know, it's like no, if we saying... had all been speaking in Spanish. If it was like clear versus, you know, you're clearly at a Japanese restaurant. No,
0: but like... I have learned something. I'm in a Japanese restaurant. It doesn't mean that the people who were working there were Japanese. It doesn't mean that they knew what the fuck I was saying. So mm-hmm. anyway, Chalisa, I have learned something. <laughs> I will stop screaming my sad, broken <laughs> Japanese at people. It just
4: reminded me of the um if you curb tell
0: me. Intu- I knew intu- you were t- going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, don't you dare Larry David me. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> okay. The it's, okay. it's The highest okay.
2: compliment. It's okay.
0: We've all Larry Davided ourselves at various moments in our lives, I'm <laughs> See, sure. but this is the thing. If we're not, if we're not listening to like Jaleesa's book or whatever, we're never going to learn and think of things in a different way. So to me, I always thought that I was being like the most like appreciating your culture, I learned how to say that your food's fucking delicious. And you're like, and it it's it's so now I will be a bit more uh, I will be a bit more alert and not just there. You go, S- scream, <laughs>
1: scream,
0: my jeopardy. But, there's, a, but
2: there's also something about this. I don't know if you agree with this, but the spirit and the intention. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like is the other big thing. I, I don't know if that that makes a difference for. Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah. no. It helps a little. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> there was something else that you said that I found even that I found more interesting, uh, more telling, which is, you know, you're talking about like. Um, so I think part of part of it is all of these immigrants of the past, right, who were like European immigrants who had really difficult times in Amer- coming to America. Right. when need to. Think about the Irish or the Polish or right. Right. Jewish immigrants. Um, and what's interesting to me is that those waves of immigrants are now used at, as what a perfect example of an immigrant. Should sure, be. it's like uh-huh. they learned how to speak english they um you know, they became successful, like why can you brown and black immigrants do the same? And you're absolutely right that actually most germans, and i I give the specific stat in the book, which I don't remember in this moment, but most Germans, a big percentage of Germans, never learned to speak English, and their mm-hmm. children. Many times didn't learn to speak English either, and so it's a little bit of a a, a fairy tale, a lie that that all immigrants of the past, um, you know, assimilated because many yeah. of them didn't for a long time, and, mm-hmm. and then some of them. And there's there's um, this this Italian poet um, who I quote in the book that says that the Italian community thought that they could keep this nice Italian things in private and be white mm-hmm. in public, mm-hmm. and so many communities sort of gave up their many white european communities gave up their culture in order to attain whiteness in america
0: it's and you know julissa what's interesting about that is that on my father's side of the family um when my mother was marrying in um they would the uncle adzi was always so, he would use my mother as an example and be like, look, she speaks German, you don't speak Italian. You know, to that he thought that they had abandoned sort of their culture to be like you were saying. I mean, it's it's really ironic now kind of
1: reflecting on what everybody's been saying that like we live in this country that kind of holds itself out to be this place like, oh, it's a melting pot. People come here. You can like bring your culture and we incorporate it. It's like a giant table and we want everybody to bring something to the giant table and you get to, but the thing is you don't get to keep what you bring to the table. You have to just like throw what you bring to the table in the middle and then like somebody else takes it and sells it back to us. And, and that's, that's what happens. It's very ironic that in a country that prides itself on being uh, multicultural, that people who come here from other countries are expected or pressured to lose their culture. You know, like it's, it seems like, I don't know, said I'd love to hear you speak about like what, like, is that like a form of self-nullification to come here and just be like, well, now I'm American? Like, what is somebody who comes to America, does everything they're supposed to do, um, supposed to, in, in very heavy air quotes, um, and is still denied the opportunities that they were promised, but they've also left their culture behind? Like, what becomes of those people?
4: Well, You know, so one of the one of the um, one of the issues that I try to tackle with as it relates to the Latino community specifically is that I am an immigrant. I I did come from Mexico. I I was born someplace else. But part of the complexity of our community is that just like there are people like me who are recent, more recent immigrants, there are also Mexican-Americans who have never crossed the border who were mm-hmm. in the lands uh, that were stolen by the United States. And yet they will have to answer the same question I always have to answer, which is where are you from? From, right? How mm-hmm. like saying I am from Los Angeles is never enough. Not even when I'm abroad. I was I was in France last summer and uh, a guy there asked us where we were from. There were four of us and we all just said Los Angeles. And he's like, no, but where are you from? from. And it's like, <sighs> damn, I can't go anywhere in the world and say I'm American and people believe that I am American. Oh, um, man. And and so, you know, to me, it's it's um you do sort of end up in this in this sort of limbo where you don't get to keep your culture and you don't ever fully become American either. And so mm-hmm. you're in this sort of like no man's land. But for me. You know, the second part of the book is all about reclaiming. It's all about reclaiming the parts of me that I've lost uh, over the years and learning my history. Because I think one of the reasons there is a pressure to assimilate is because we don't see ourselves anywhere in America, in the history, in the movies, in the books, in the films. And so in order to be American, you know, we have this one image of what an American is supposed to look like. And what I realized doing all the research that I did for the book is that the the roots that connect me to Mexico connect me here too like we have such a long history in this country not just of this like horrible things that were done to us lynchings and segregation and um and and police violence um that you know what the Texas Rangers did to to Mexican Americans along the border was horrific but not only those things but also, all the amazing, incredible ways in which we have stood up for ourselves, how we have been part of every social movement. And those aren't things that I ever learned. You know, I never, I never learned like, one of the largest marches against the Vietnam War was in East Los Angeles, uh, and it was titled the Chicano Moratorium. It was 50,000 people, 50,000 mostly Latino people who were protesting. You know, the largest uh, student walkouts before Parkland were also in East Los Angeles, where Mexican-American students were demanding better conditions, better food, better education. Um, And so I I also, I, I feel like I also never had the opportunity to be inspired by my own people, because those aren't things that I ever knew about. Um, And so I don't, I don't want to be in no man's land. And and, and in the book, I say, you know, I am not like half Mexican, half American. I'm not, uh, like I am both cultures. You know, Mm -hmm. I am both things. I am fully Mexican and I feel very much fully American too.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we could keep talking about this for hours and we'll probably talk about it more on a future episode, but we have to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to come back to something a little bit lighter than the idea of assimilation and (laughs) (laughs) self-nullification. And uh, we're going to talk about what we're feeling petty about this week. So we'll be right back.
2: Go to
1: crooked.com slash store to shop. And welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but not quite. First, we have a little housekeeping. Check out our new 90s-themed Choice merch collection at the Crooked store. It is so cool. I love it, and I can't wait to wear it. I want it to get colder here so that I can wear it. For this collection, we'll be donating a portion of every order to the Lilith Fund, an organization working to support reproductive rights of Texans. Shop all the Choice tees and sweatshirts now at crooked.com slash store. In 2022, we need to work harder than ever to inform and mobilize voters to make sure their voices are heard in spite of efforts of anti-democratic forces across the country. That's why Vote Save America is launching its biggest volunteer effort yet and asking you to be part of your region's midterm madness team, East, South, Midwest, West. Sign up and learn more at votesaveamerica.com midterms to receive actions you can take every week to get involved in the most important elections in 2022. Okay, the house has been kept, and now we're going to get to what we are feeling petty about this week. Uh, There's a lot to feel petty about this week. I have more of a a kind of unifying theory of 2022 that I would like to offer. And it's sort of what I'm feeling petty about, but once I realized it, I'm like, oh, I am now a hammer and everything looks like a nail. And here here is my hammer thought. 2022's vibe is chaos. Chaos. That's the vibe. So like, Julia Fox, all of a sudden, cutting her jeans up and wearing them as, like, a, a tube-top, low-rise ensemble. Did you see the pictures of this? Her eye makeup, her her zeitgeisty status, it's because her vibe is chaos, and chaos is the vibe. You know, it's all Like, what happened at the Oscars? It's because it's it's chaos. You're right. It's, the, it's a chaos-fueled year. The vibe is chaos. Fashion. The vibe is chaos. Like—
0: Celebrity couples, the vibe is chaos. You know, Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, that is chaos. That is pure chaos. Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker. That shit is some Ka- chaos. That is chaotic energy. And now that I started looking at everything
1: through the vibe of chaos, I'm like, everything like makes so much more sense to me. I'm like, oh yeah, of course. It's it's because it's, it's because chaos. of chaos. It's chaos. And I'm I'm like weirdly at peace. In the chaotic, now, and and that's the most woo woo thing I've ever said in <laughs> my life.
0: But it it hits right.
1: Yeah. If it, it feels it feels right to me. Um. I think some of the the sleeves continuing to be crazy while fashion is like I don't know. Try these pants. Like fashion is chaos. Like everything is chaos. And uh, even the new, even the new Batman is chaotic. It's all chaos.
2: So what did it? What did that Chani Nichols say? Th- that uh, horoscope lady. What did she oh. say regarding chaos? Because you had her on, didn't you? She
1: well, I think it's America's Pluto return is about unearthing things yep. that that and and upending and and like deep like pulling apart things. Um, so she said that that what's happening right now is is about um like a an renewal, a reckoning, like yeah. a long term reckoning with uh the origins of like American wealth. So like the origins of, of American wealth are stolen land and stolen labor. So that's what we're seeing right now is like a reckoning with those moments in American history, is what is what she said.
2: But again, it's you know, it's astrology. Is Pluto a moon or is it a planet? What technically what is it? Pluto it's, is a dog. It's a
0: planet. Is it a hangnail?
2: <laughs> cartoon dog. It's a okay. cartoon,
1: okay, cartoon dog. Cartoon so. dog, but Goofy is also a cartoon dog. So like there's a dog that has there's like two I know, classes it's of It's upsetting. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, it's upsetting.
2: It's uh, upsetting. Uh, why does why, why does Goofy get to be friends with everybody, but the other guy has to wear a collar? Just because the world. Because Goofy chaos. assimilated. Because chaos.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: oh my god! Oh. Goofy assimilated is the episode title. Um, uh, Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about this week?
0: Okay. So the New York Times Style Magazine had a headline this weekend, and I'm just going to say up front, I didn't read the article because I was so appalled and just annoyed by the headline, and here's the headline. Quote, where have all the artist addicts gone? What? Yeah, so apparently, you guys, (laughs) art used to just be made by like cool addicts, and like now that the wellness… World has come to be like what's happened to all those people. So, anyway, I just thought to myself of all the things that one could choose to write about on the planet in this time, where have all the artist addicts gone? And I realized I have to really enunciate because I, when I was saying it out loud to my neighbor, she's like, The addicts, and I was like, Oh no, not upstairs, addicts, and she was Addict. like, Oh. <laughs> But yeah, that's it. I just
1: have like all
4: the addicts gone too, though. I have uh, like I know people are
1: still out here. People are still out here dying as the result of of uh, substance abuse. But I Aaron, think they're here. Are they artists?
0: Are yeah. they artists? Are they making stuff though? Ah, uh,
1: you know what? That you do not want to. Don't don't put that out there. You know, like in in 2015, That's my thing. Don't put why. In twenty fifteen, I texted one of my friends. America's overdue for a death cult. Why did I do that? <laughs> I I did I caused all of this. No, I'm just kidding. But it was like, well, and then we got one. So there we go. Here we are. No, don't say where all the art there is plenty of substance abuse issues happening in the US. I think what? In 2020, the number of people who died from drinking went up like horrifyingly.
0: Like that's the thing. It's like you read this and it sounds so forlorn. Where have they all gone? <laughs> and I just <laughs> I was my, that's my petty. I just, I feel like like they could do other things.
1: It's like watching Pet Cemetery and being like, why aren't kids getting hit by cars anymore?
0: You know, like. That movie was so scary. You guys know I can't watch scary. I did watch that movie. And yet I still have cats. (laughs) Are you still
1: afraid of, are you afraid of like old men in overalls being like, ain't been nobody down
0: here for years? No, now I just wear the overalls. I'm that person now. Oh, you're the old man warning people about things. Okay, I'm cool. Still waiting for my jam. Hey, listen, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. That sounded no, like a on. threat. No, you have that sounded. A- see, see, it's on my list. Hysteria jams.
2: You want to see my list? Look at my list. This is lists mean nothing. Look at list- this. No, look they do. <laughs> I've had this for three months, Karen. Dirty piece of paper. Somebody that take is- a picture okay. of this. Okay.
0: My my lists are done by the week, so I'm just saying. <laughs> um, okay, uh, you know, I was I was gonna try to find
1: my list, but it's a notes file that is buried because I don't I don't know where it is. Oh, here, this is for my baby blanket, extra outfit, hat, sunblock, diapers, wipes, baby Tylenol. So See? that's my list. That's a good list. That's my world right now. Uh, Julissa. What are you feeling petty about this week? Oh my goodness, this is going
4: to be a game time decision to pick one.
1: Um, (laughs) You can, you know what? It's your book release week. You can, you can have two. Okay, good. So one, I I was going to let it
4: go, but then Alyssa brought up the New York Times, and so that just reminded me that you know the New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, none of them bitches have covered my book, and (gasps) for uh, shame for shame. I'm particularly, uh, you know, hurt by the LA Times because I'm an LA-based writer talking about issues that affect the Latino community, which is like 50% of the population in Los Angeles, but um yeah, it's annoying because it's like what do I have to do? But whatever.
2: That's all I got to say about that. Have you thought about getting addicted to drugs?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where have all the addicted authors gone? <sighs>
4: I am gonna take a staycation um, soon, and um, I plan on some recreational activities. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, um, just be promise me that you will do like the the safe, like the cool, the chill ones. You oh, know, I, like I have never done any no of ones, ayahuasca for you. No, no, <laughs> no un no unchill drugs. Do the like the ones that can come in watermelon flavor. That's all.
4: I really, you know, this is gonna sound really like uh, cheesy, but. I honestly don't do anything that's not like spectacular like drugs that are not legal because I see like what they do to communities, you know, like how devastated they get. And, and I don't just mean the communities of people who use them, but I mean the communities of the people who uh, are involved in the business and 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 make them available. So anyhow, what I'm really petty about was much less serious than that, which was um, I'm just petty that people don't know in the year 2022, how to RSVP to a party.
1: <laughs> like, oh, okay. why do I have oh, to remind okay. you? You know what? I'm Please. doing it right now, Julissa. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Ooh, it's
0: like being called out for your jam. I
2: didn't, I didn't wow. even. Wow. Wow. I am talking about you not there. <laughs> I seem to be waiting for my invite and my jam. Wow. <laughs> oh, Kieran, wow. today's not a good day for you. No, this is very hurtful. Wow. Wow. Well, this is... a uh, If you
4: are in Hollywood, California, (laughs) (laughs) you are... Please come. Um, But, you know, it's like, why do I... I mean, this happened, you know, with the wedding. It was, like, people not RSVPing. And it's like, why do I have to remind you? Like, just... RSVP or people who I say specifically, like, please email me. And then they're like DMing me on Instagram. And I'm like, that DM will get lost. I will never mm-hmm. see your DM. I will never know that you were sorry you couldn't make the party. I will just assume that you said you could come and then you just didn't show up. Um. So anyways, that's what I'm petty about. People just RSVP is not that hard. It really is
1: not. <laughs> You're right, and I am sorry that I did not RSVP by the date. (laughs) I just emailed you. um, My mom is going to be in town. Can I bring her? Bring her. Okay. That would be super fun. Okay, Tacos and mariachis and I'm going to bring my mom. She's going to absolutely love it and absolutely love you, and I'm very sorry I didn't RSVP. (laughs) (laughs) Time is like jazz, you know?
4: (laughs) Caroline, (laughs) she RSVP'd, so... (laughs)
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, look. Whoa. Without
1: Caroline, this entire train would would be off the tracks. It would be flipped over. No, this Caroline is the one that makes it all work. So that is not surprising to me that she followed the rules and that I did not. <laughs> um. So, what else are you feeling petty about besides the, the anything no, just, else you want to add? No, just those two things. Uh, you know, besides that, actually,
4: I'm I'm really happy. This has been a good week.
1: Yeah. Well, you deserve to feel happy because writing a book seems like a beast going around Mm -hmm. and promoting it seems like a lot of work. And I'm, I'm really glad that it's like going so well. It's, it's, it's great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Karen, what are you feeling petty about this week?
2: Yeah, I'm feeling petty about the slap, man. I don't know if it's petty, but my, my it's, I don't think it's a hot, I don't think it's a hot take. I don't think it's a particularly interesting take. But just want to put it out there, not that the hysteria fans would ever be the person to do this. Uh, don't hit comedians. Uh, don't hit people. Don't hit people. Don't hit people. Don't hit people. Don't hit people because of what they say. Don't hit. Don't hit. Seems fine. Don't hit. Just don't. Don't hit. Don't hit. <laughs> if you're very rich, don't hit. If you're not rich, don't hit. Just don't. Don't hit. Don't hit. Seems really reasonable that you don't hit. Mm, don't care what happened to you when you were a kid. Mm, it's sad, but also you're a fifty plus year old human being. Don't hit. Just don't hit. Don't hit. Don't hit. Don't hit. Comics. Now you understand that every comic's going to go to a club. We all have to deal with like drunk hecklers anyway. They have bouncers and security. Now I got to worry about. Now I got to worry about some drunk guy hitting. Don't hit. Don't hit. Don't hit. Yeah. Don't hit. When it's televised, don't hit. When it's not televised. Don't hit. It's not a hot take. Don't think it should be a particularly controversial one either. Don't fucking hit. Don't hit. Don't hit. Don't hit comics. Don't hit comics on a national stage. <laughs> Don't hit comics and then win awards. <laughs> Don't fucking hit. Don't hit.
1: Yeah. I I feel like, okay, so what you're trying to say is, no, I'm just
2: <laughs> What she's if trying heard, to say is. I
1: heard you correctly.
2: <laughs> so what you're saying is you can hit if.
0: So, so, you what, know, it's bad to hit, but no, don't I hit. think next week we need sanity corner. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh, yeah. I think in
1: a in a world of chaos, we need more more moments of of sanity, even if it's chaotic sanity. I think chaotic sanity can exist, right? My
2: answer to that, Aaron, should have been like, I'm going to slap the shit out of you. That's what I should have said. <laughs> when you were like, wait, so let me see if I got it. I'm going to slap the shit out of you. Should have been oh, my answer. Oh, man.
1: Uh, well, Kieran and Julissa, thank you so much for coming by today. This was a great show. Thanks to Julissa's cat for walking through frame several times. I am not being sarcastic at all. Yeah. The moment in a Zoom when a cat walks by or there's a kid in the background. Compelling. That's a Ex- good cat butt too. <laughs> Highlight. Oh yeah, great cat butt. Highlight of the Zoom. Um, so thank you to both of you for coming by. Alyssa, thanks for being my ride or die. Peruge. And thank you to Senator Amy Klobuchar for stopping by, hanging out, answering some questions per usual. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more Hysteria next week. Hysteria is a crooked media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonico is our co producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot.